0: The Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love,
1: with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York.
0: Welcome to Just Love. I'm Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. I'm here with Tom Dobbins. This is our weekly conversation about what's going on in the world from the perspective of our Catholic social teaching. We begin a new year. This is our first show of the new year. I hope all of you had very happy New Year, very blessed Christmas and we're now into January. and but for us as Catholics, we haven't ended the Christmas season because Christmas season is upon uh, continues um through the Epiphany and actually through the Feast of the Baptism of the Lord, but this year the calendar is a little bit compressed, which from my perspective, I kind of like. But we are, the Feast of the Epiphany is upon us. And actually, in a few minutes, we're going to uh, be speaking about the Magi and who are they? What are they about? Why do they still fascinate us? And so I'm delighted we're going to be doing that in just a few moments. Hey, Tom, how was your Christmas?
2: Oh, my, my, my Christmas was lovely. We spent it as, you know, I usually do with the family. Uh, we went up and, uh, mom and dad, well, mom and I, uh, decorated the tree and, and, uh, and and we, uh, we wrapped gifts and did everything else on Christmas Eve. We watched midnight mass months here. We saw you at St. Patrick's. Okay. So it was nice to recognize everybody there. And, uh, and, and we just had a lovely Christmas and then we wound up going out, uh, to dinner to a local restaurant. The family was together. So, all in all, it was really it was really a very wonderful wonderful christmas i I, I couldn't ask for more Santa was very good that is uh <laughs> that is
0: that is um that's that's great. so I guess from what you just told me, your dad doesn't help decorate the tree
2: well, he puts up the tree like in okay. other words he he he'll put it up during the week and then he and they have someone who kind of comes and helps them, so he puts up the tree and then I guess he just leaves it to us to kind of do. Okay. The decorating and you know and all the stuff around the house and the little Does he, Santa su- does he supervise? No, no, he's really just watching television at that point. Okay,
0: okay. and uh, so we is- kind of
2: we, we kind of decorate around him. Okay,
0: well that's uh, that <laughs> is that is good. And how about New Year's?
2: What'd you do for New Year's? Oh, New Year's! New Year's was fun. Uh, New Year's, we went out to a local Mexican place, some friends and I, and then we just went out. To a local bar it was really it was very it was low-key the sherman senior and it was funny the restaurant we had a hard time finding restaurants that would serve after uh like nine o'clock it was like you know yeah i mean if you wanted to spend 250 dollars, you could go to a restaurant and you could you know they give you a midnight toast and everything but just to go to a regular restaurant they i guess they wanted to let their staff home early which i appreciate
0: um
2: so we just went to the regular restaurant, had a very good meal, and then we went to the local bar and just kind of all hung out and welcomed the new year in. So it was fun. It was low-key okay. but fun. Were you in Manhattan itself? Yes. We were, I would say I was in, I was in Midtown. So okay. uh so it was good. It was, you know, like I said, very low-key, but a lot of fun.
0: Good. You know, it's interesting, Tom. I've been kind of just informally, you know, as you say hello to people when you see them, you say, Hey, how were your holidays? How was Christmas? How was the New Year's? and uh you know the feedback i'm getting just is very very informal but the feedback has been that you know people kind of enjoyed this christmas and and new year's you know i, I haven't gotten a lot of stories about a lot of stress or a lot of anxiety it seemed to be you know a pretty good thing that people were were about this uh, this christmas which is which is good and mm-hmm. you know given some of the very, very global horrific um events that have taken place in the past few months, I think that's good that people kind of had a little bit of a of a you know a a, a refreshing or a little bit of change in which they could focus on some things close to home, their families, and that that kind of is part of the Christmas spirit so anyway, I'm glad that worked out. Uh, worked out um, well. Um, so given the fact that uh, Epiphany is upon us, or Three Kings, however we want to uh, refer to it, I'm delighted that we have um, somebody who can speak to us about who the Magi were, somebody who is associate professor of religious studies at Federn uh, College, uh, Professor Eric Vanden Eckel. He is the Associate Professor of Religious Studies and, he, and uh, he is the Forrest S. Williams Teaching Chair in the Humanities in Ferrum College, which is in Virginia. Professor um, Eckel, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here.
0: Well, that's great. So uh, I asked Tom, so I'll ask you, how was your Christmas and how was your New Year's?
1: Uh pretty good actually. We uh we went on a road trip. We traveled to Minnesota and uh spent time with family up there and uh unfortunately didn't get any snow, but um you know the uh trip was good and uneventful, which is how we like it.
0: That is great. I'm glad I'm glad that it um was. Um so, listen, we're, the Feast of the Epiphany or the Solemnity of the Epiphany is upon us and you actually have written a book on the Magi. So give our listeners a little bit of a background. Um, what interested you about the Magi? Why'd you write a book about that?
1: That's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, so uh, I I had just defended my dissertation back in 2014. And um, I, like many people who had just defended their dissertation, I was kind of looking for what was going to occupy me for the next However long, <laughs> I didn't have a job at the time, and so I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And um, the Magi were sort of minor characters in a uh, in a text in the text that I had written my dissertation on. And so, um, yeah, the the week after I defended, I went and uh, sat down in the library and pulled out every book that I could find that that might mention them, and I just started uh, just kind of seeing if there was anything there and um, yeah, so really, I mean, it, it kind of just it, it it started as kind of a, just an attempt to do the next thing, right, is sort of find mm-hmm. find something else to, to study. And then what I figured out was that that, um, you know, a lot of the explanations for the Magi in Matthew were ones that I kind of found to be either boring or kind of problematic or just weird, you know, like I found lots of stuff about UFOs and, you know, secret brotherhoods and Knights Templar and all this kind of stuff. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe, maybe it'd be good to to actually sit down and write, uh, write something that kind of uh, captures all of that. So that's, yeah, that's the story.
0: Oh, that is a, that's a, is a wonderful story. And so um, getting to the substance now, what, um, what approach did you take in developing the book? And, you know, let me throw out a couple of options. I mean, were you trying to figure out um, who they actually may have been historically? Or did you take the perspective or what has literature said about them over the ages? Or what perspective did were you kind of looking at?
1: Yeah, so my my interest in in all of ancient literature is very much in sort of what I would call reception history, and so trying to figure out how different characters are understood as they're as they're read over the centuries. Okay, and so uh, so the 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 subtitle of the book, um, which starts out with who they were, um, is a, probably a, a little bit of a I mean it's a bit it's a bit cheeky because for the purposes of the book. Um, It actually doesn't matter historically who they were or really even if they ever existed, Um, Mm -hmm. because because the approach that that I take in the book is to say, all right, you know, we have these characters in Matthew's gospel and we have access to the story that they that they are in. But we don't really have access to all of, you know, whatever historical memory might or might not be lurking behind that story, and so so my my approach was let's focus on the literature itself, and then to kind of see what people did with it, what Matthew's earliest readers did with it, and um you know, and also what more recent uh, readers have done with that story.
0: So uh, in, intriguingly, I I'm intrigued by what you said, and I is why I asked you the question, because there is a whole other. Um, genre of of scholarship, which would take almost the, not the opposite, but the a different perspective and say, okay, let's strip away what has happened over the centuries, not saying it's important, but we want to say, what can we actually say historically if we're looking at this as a historian you know, did they exist? Who were they? where they come from? Things like that. So I'm delighted uh, that the approach you're taking is, okay, that may be important, but that's not what I'm looking at. What I'm looking at is um, how have they, to use your words, how have they been received uh, by various groups over the, over the years? So take it away. Share with yeah. our listeners, um, you know, so- I mean, listen, I, I, you have a job now, so you actually kind (laughs) of, um, you know, you figured out how to, uh, to get a job, which is great, but you know, you still always could use a few more bucks. So figure (laughs) out, um, sell them, sell, sell our listeners your book. So get them, don't tell them everything, but tell them enough. That they're willing to plunk down some money to buy your book.
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, well, um, oh, that's a that's a that's a tall charge. Um, so uh, yeah. So the book. I mean, the book. I always, always starts-
0: I always give yeah. charges, which is in the person's self interest to do well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure yeah 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 well I'll preface this by saying it's available wherever books are sold um which <laughs> this apparently is but um so uh so yeah the I mean I think the the approach of um you know like you said just sort of w- one of the things that I that I am uh that's very important to me as a scholar um and as a scholar who does uh work in literature but then also history um is to be very honest with what we what we can't know and what we can know and you know and so the and the fact of the matter is that you know with with a story like this um you know I don't know there's there's plenty of books out there who have who whose goal is to prove the existence of the magi um and I'm sure there's probably plenty of stuff out there that's that, that whose goal is to sort of disprove um right. whatever but but and in, and in, in from my perspective you know I, I don't know how you go about proving or disproving the historicity of a story like this so let's right. just focus on the story so the starting point of the book is that uh most people who think they know the story of the magi as it is as it is written in matthew most people who are in that camp uh probably probably don't know the story nearly as well as they think they do and so one of the things that I encourage readers to do in this book is to sort of go back to the story in Matthew because it's only in Matthew that's and that's the fascinating thing these characters are so recognizable in the Christian tradition um really aside from Mary and Jesus uh, they are some of the most represented characters in Christian art. And and I mean, you know, show anyone a picture of the nativity. Who is this? Well, these are the wise men or, or whoever they were. And but I but I encourage readers of this book to sort of start by going back to Matthew's story and reading it and noticing what's not there. And and really, at the end of the day, when you go back and read the story, what's not there is pretty much every detail that people think that they know where did the magi come from matthew doesn't say he says the east right the you know whatever how many magi were there surprisingly and many people are shocked by this surprisingly matthew doesn't say matthew doesn't say three magi came from the east he says magi came from the east and they brought three gifts you know the magi talk once in the entire story they talk and they, you know, they talk to, to, to Herod and they say, we're looking for the newborn, the, the one born king of the Judeans. Um, and so that exercise of going back to this story and sort of um, it, like reading it in an effort to defamiliarize yourself with the story and say, wow, there's a lot less there than I remember there being. And And it's almost a universal experience. People go back and they go, that was short. They show up. In Jerusalem, they get sent to Bethlehem, they give their gifts, and they go back, they go back home. They never say why they're there. They never, they never kind of, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, any of that. So, so the what, so that's sort of where the book starts from is to say sort of let's forget everything that we think we know about this story and let's start from that basic, that basic kind of kernel. And then let's grow that and talk about how the, the, the bigger, more detailed story that is in your Christmas pageant, right? The We Three Kings, <laughs> right. you know, where does that actually come from? And so the bulk of the book is devoted to, okay, so Matthew is doing this with these characters and now what have other people done with them? They've made them kings, they've given them names, they've given them a home uh they've given them sort of a Lord of the Rings like adventure um and so that's really what the book is about is what does that adventure look like um when it when it comes to the magi
2: that
0: is great. that is um really um uh, a nice kind of to and uh, and and you're right we I mean we do a lot of harmonizing in terms of now you can't harmonize because there's no account of it in Luke or someplace else but we bring a number of things together uh, you probably are aware of this from your research but some of our listeners may not be as you mentioned you know for kind of a little bit of a blurb that these wise men get in Matthew's gospel they've they've gotten they've done pretty well for themselves in terms of notoriety i right. mean so much so that, when in Puerto Rico, which there are lots of different statues and 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 images of the three uh, people, the three men, it is sometimes very hard, and is it is it is hard to actually find a shepherd that when, when the nativity scene is displayed or when you go to get something for the nativity, it's the three kings. I mean, you can go store after store and not find a shepherd because it's all about the three kings. And it is oftentimes about the three kings without Jesus, Mary, Joseph. They kind of form their own little um, chorus and, and to a certain extent they exist in imagery independent of the um of the uh of the nativity scene so it's kind of um kind of interesting so it it kind of confirms that that the wise men have taken on a life of their own in very many different uh different cultures the one thing that since we're at the feast of the the epiphany um can you say a little bit did your research kind of um look at so how come the wise men get associated with the epiphany and how would that come about
1: yeah so the, so my research in this book uh, doesn't really go into um it, it doesn't really go into the origins of the epiphany uh, uh of the epiphany holiday um but so, I Professor your, yeah.
0: next <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Your next book, right? Your next book.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sort of an unanswered question. And now we talk about nativity. Um, <laughs> no, but it is. Uh, it, it is. It very much is in the um, in kind of the earlier, the sort of first millennium of Christianity. Uh, epiphany. You know, epiphany. Now, I, I mean, obviously, epiphany is still a uh, an important holiday. Um, But in the in the sort of like first millennium, um, my understanding of it anyway, and this is a little bit outside of my um, well I haven't written that book yet right. Right. (laughs) But, um, but you know the epiphany was sort of um, seen as the as the. as sort of now, I wouldn't say the primary holiday but very much uh the the sort of holiday that christmas points toward and i mean it still is in terms of the calendar right the 12 days of christmas point towards epiphany and so you know epiphany meaning the sort of manifestation right and so right. what is the what is uh what is epiphany but the the manifestation of you know jesus has already been born but he is now seen by the world and and this is where the magi come to uh, represent something that in my mind is probably a little bit different than what Matthew's after. But that doesn't really, you know, that doesn't matter too much. But uh, they they sort of come.
0: Because you you don't care what actually happened. You make it up. (laughs) And right. like it's it, you know you just want to know how it's received it doesn't matter if it's real or
1: anything yeah well <laughs> I'm yeah sorry but, you, no no no, that, no that's good it's it, no it is it is important though to 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 sort of identify what Matthew is after and um and and by including these people and this is the argument that the that the book kind of makes when I'm talking yeah. about the meaning of the story in Matthew in Matthew these characters are sort of understood as. Um, as pointing towards the kingship of Jesus as the legitimate king, uh, as the legitimate king of the Judeans. So Herod is his title, which was given to him by Rome, is king of the Judeans, or sometimes translated right. king of the Jews. Right. And the the Magi show up from the east. In order to say we are here for the one who was born King of the Jews, that is the one who is who's who's sort of King by birth and and so they are there in Matthew to perform that very specific function of putting a stamp of legitimacy on Jesus as the as the the rightful King of the Judeans. how they how they then develop in terms of the you know what is it what what is their role in epiphany they they come to signify not just people who are there to legitimize the kingship of jesus but they come to sort of signify you know the world comes to bethlehem and then, the, and then God in human form is, is made manifest to the world in Bethlehem. Um, and so the, it's, it's really, that's one of those interesting kind of growths of the tradition is to say, well, they're not just this um, cast of priests from, from Persia that, that, um, that help coronate kings. Uh, they are sort of representative of the world as a whole who is coming to Bethlehem to worship, uh, to worship God in human form.
0: When again, um, you know, going a little bit back to Matthew's perspective, and I think what you, you you raise is very important. I mean, most scholars will basically say that Matthew's Gospels' primary audience was the Jewish community, mm-hmm. and so that very early, in fact, at the birth, that they introdu- that Matthew introduces non-Jews affirm the king of the jews and that they not only come to bring this king gifts but to worship him there's a lot that is packed in the um the the narrative that matthew portrays or, i'm sorry that matthew writes mm-hmm. and as you say probably unless we go back and read it carefully We may gloss over some of that because we got three kings. We now know their names. We know that each of them is bringing one of the gifts and they had a dream. Uh, Right, right. Uh, Yeah. uh,
1: and, and just to sort of touch on that, you know, one of the one of the things that I actually did find also in in researching this story and thinking about this story, um, that sort of uh, the Jewish versus Gentile uh, dimension, right. and um, and one of the things that I found is I'm actually not all that sure that that's what Matthew is after with this story. Um, that's certainly how it's right. been read, and and from a very early period, that's how it's been read. But um, one of the very fascinating things when you look at commentaries on Matthew almost all of them will say you know the the magi are the best of the gentile world they are the they're representatives of the of the sort of righteous gentiles or whatever Um, But, you know, the fact of the matter is that if you look in ancient literature, um, Magi, you know, are are the Magi to be understood as Gentiles? Perhaps, maybe, but that designation Magi is what's interesting to Matthew. I don't think Matthew cares much about whether they're Jews or Gentiles, and in ancient literature, and in fact, elsewhere in the New Testament, you have... uh, you have Magi who are, uh, who are Jews. So in acts, for example, there's a, um, there's a Magus named, uh, uh Elimus or Bar Jesus. He has two names in the story mm-hmm. and he is a, uh, a Jewish uh, Magus. And mm-hmm. so, um, so one of the things that I do in the book is to sort of say, okay, this is one of those interpretations of the sort of, you know, the Gentiles coming to, uh, coming to right. Jesus. But I think in Matthew, the primary spotlight is on the kingship aspect it's like it's almost like if Matthew you know the the terminology that Matthew chooses you know Magi magi, um that's significant it's almost as if you were sort of writing a story today and you said you know there was a person walking down the street but you called them a lawyer right there was a lawyer walking down the street well that could have a number of different meanings depending on who's reading that story right? right and so I'm more focused on. Uh, on that sort of terminology of magi and and trying to kind of um, look beyond that that curtain of the Gentile versus Jew um, uh, reading.
0: So I'm not gonna let you get away without something that you hinted at in okay. that you hint hinted at in your describing of what you were about., um, so what's give us give our listeners a sense of what were some of the weird things? you discovered and how they were received. We want, we want kind of the entertaining part of the book.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, th- so there's, I mean, really, we don't have time to talk about all of them. So I'll just give you a couple. Like, here's the deal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's the
0: deal. When you finish your next book on the epiphany, yeah. you can come back and then we can <laughs> talk about more weird things and your new book Okay, so you've now you've now
1: you've now committed me to writing a book about epiphany. Um,
0: You notice how we did that. We kind of nice segue.
1: We We
0: have it on tape. Yes, we're going to you're committed to doing it. But anyway, so share with us a few of the weird.
1: Yeah. So, um, so one of the things um, that one of the things that you find when you look online, um, which is right where you find anything entertaining, uh, you won't find this anywhere in scholarship, of course, but uh, one of the things you find online is uh, that these people were um, were following a UFO. Uh, so that is that is a claim that I found a number of different times, uh, you know, taking and and these and this claim comes from taking the story at a very very literalistic in a very very literalistic way so imagining that they are following a star from somewhere in the east and that they are following or in this case a ufo uh and they're they're following it and it leads them to jerusalem but then it leads them to bethlehem well if you look at jerusalem and bethlehem on a map um Uh, Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem. And so if you read this story literalistically, then what happens is that the star or UFO or whatever, um, Goes to Jerusalem and then makes a left, and so and so there's all these, you know, all these people who say, Well, stars don't move like that. Well, that's true, but also in Matthew, it's probably not. I mean, it's, there's something else going on with this with this kind of star language. So, the UFO theory is one of the most, uh, you know, pardon the pun out there, uh, theories that I found. Um, you, you know, this sort of claim that they're extraterrestrials leading. Well, I, um,
0: you know, I, ca- I kind of like that, and and if it's a UFO, I'm gonna name it star worlds one and then we combine both the ufo and the star yeah and i think we got it that's yeah it, yeah yeah okay.
1: yeah um and the other one that i'll mention is um i did find also the uh, i there's a uh, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna talk about the book because i don't want to give it too much publicity but uh there is uh there is a sort of uh vein of magi fascination out there where they are um kind of protectors of ancient of ancient magic and Uh uh, magic that we can kind of tap into uh uh today and so i have encountered at least Two uh, books that are filled with spells of the magi. Oh. Um, one of them is quite recent, and the other one is um, uh, several hundred years uh, old. But uh, yeah, the sort of magical secrets of these these characters as kind of sources of dark magic or something like that. Which is those are two of the two of the most two of the more odd things that I found Can about I, them.
0: Let me let me ask you a, a little bit of a personal question, um, because obviously to write a book. Uh, requires, a, you know, a fair amount of research, scholarship, getting into the material. Was there any particular thing or or couple of things in your research, which you found personally pretty inspiring? Maybe something that you learned and said, boy, you know, I haven't really thought about it, but that's really a very, very interesting, inspiring aspect to this. Anything strike you as you in your research?
1: Yeah I um, the two I'll, I'll say I'll say really two things. Um, you know thinking about thinking about these characters and spending a lot of time kind of marinating in what people have said about them for you know 2,000 years or so um, the the two kind of characteristics that that kept coming back, and kind of to the forefront over and over were uh generosity and hospitality and you know I I sort of and and the hospitality bit was really more um kind of my own ruminations about um about them but you know the generosity aspect was was one of those things that kind of kept coming back to me as sort of you know this this giving and they and that you know they they are bringing these gifts um they're bringing these gifts from a distance and they they don't really even know exactly who they're going to right they sort of I mean they go to the wrong place first they you know they go to Jerusalem because they say well the king of the Judeans has been born clearly he's going to be in Jerusalem and so they bring their gifts to Jerusalem and Herod's like well I'm not it you know <laughs> and so right. then they have to go to Bethlehem but they they still they they don't know they don't know who the gifts are for they certainly you know if you read the story they certainly don't know that they are going to see a a baby or or a toddler or however you read the timeline they they are going to see a king and so you know that's the joke right like why would you bring these these are weird gifts for a baby well, it's because they don't know who they're going to see but they're still bringing these extravagant gifts and so this idea of generosity and um, as I was writing this I sort of um, I, I sort of kept coming back to this idea Uh, of how important it is, um, you know, sort of emulating generosity um, in our in our day to day lives without really even knowing exactly who we're going to be generous to but sort of being willing to be um, to be generous and giving and then the hospitality bit came from, you know, my my wife is Catholic, and grew up uh, with the. Uh, with the Epiphany door blessing, uh, and so we we likewise have that in our in our house, and um, and one of the chapters in the book I lead by talking about that Epiphany door blessing, and sort of as I was sitting there writing that anecdote and thinking about that, and I sort of thought about the ways in which that blessing sort of blesses the the house, right? But also it it should serve as a reminder to be open and hospitable to anyone who comes to our door and you have there, you know the the initials of the magi sort of as a reminder that you know in Matthew these weird characters show up to their house and they say we're here to see the (laughs) we're here to see the king and Joseph and Mary don't say like can we see your ID or whatever they just sort of (laughs) let them in and so um now obviously that can be a dangerous move to just sort of let anyone into your house but Um, but uh, yeah, I, I sort of, I kept coming back to this idea of of hospitality as to say, um, who is coming to my door and how am I treating them?
0: Ah. Hey, Professor uh, Echo, thank you so much. I, I learned a whole lot. And I had a very enjoyable uh, conversation. I hope it was good for you. But now, sell your book. Where can people find it and why should they buy it?
1: Absolutely. So, um, so you can find it. Like I said, anywhere anywhere you buy your books, uh, you know, Amazon is is probably the easiest. But it's on Barnes and Noble, Target, um, and also Fortress Press. Uh, the Fortress Press website, um, you can find it. Um, but why should you buy it? Um, you should buy it because these characters are interesting, um, and they are a lot more interesting than you think that they are. And if you don't believe me, um, think about the story in your head, and then go back and read Matthew. It's Matthew chapter two and just start reading at the start of chapter two. And then when you get to the end of the story, realize how much you filled in, how many details you filled in, and then read my book to find out where that stuff came from.
0: Professor Eric Vanden Eckel, the Associate Professor of Religious Studies and the Forrest Williams Teaching Chair in the Humanities at Ferrum College in Virginia. Thank you so much for joining us on Just Love and Being So generous with your time. And Tom, um, we'll give him two years. Uh, okay. and he's we'll, going to be back on our show when he finishes his book on the epiphany and where that feast came from.
1: <laughs> For legal reasons. I have to say that book is under contract nowhere just yet, <laughs> but thank you so much, Monsignor. Okay. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you so much. Tom, will take okay. a break. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. This is the Catholic channel, Sirius XM 129.
1: Now, let's get back to Just Love, and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan.
0: Welcome back to Just Love. This is our first show of the new year, and we'll just keep saying it. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And if all of us did that with a little bit more zeal and rigor, our world would be more just and more compassionate. And particularly, we need that. And we need it particularly as we go to our next guest on Just Love, because we're going to speak about some of the very, very divisive and uh, violent situations going on in our world, the vitriol that becomes part of our debate and our uh, conversations or our shouting at one another. And so we're going to speak with Professor Maynaz Afridi, who is the Professor of Religious Studies and the Director of the Holocaust, Genocide, and Interfaith Education Center at Manhattan College. Um, Professor Afridi, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on Just Love.
3: Thank you so much. It's so great uh, to see you again. and I hope you're doing well under the circumstances. It's been a very busy and trying time for all of us.
0: It certainly has. So let me just get right into kind of the situation. As you mentioned, it is a very, very trying time. Um, and so I'm just going to ask a very open-ended question. I mean, there is such divisiveness at the moment, and particularly I'm talking about uh, the situation in the Middle East. I mean, it even becomes so divisive whether you, uh, talk about the, uh, the, the problems in Israel or whether you talk about the problems in Palestine, even the use of some of those words in and of itself evokes sometimes reaction, depending on how you describe stuff. So let me cut right to the chase. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, How do how do we deal with this? How do we kind of deal with um, this situation that we're in in the world in the moment?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a really good question, but it's an important question because I think people are, you know, in a weird kind of trauma for many things, um, especially from the conflict especially from the hate on our campuses, on our streets, anti-Semitism, Islamophobia. You know, I, I come from, you know, Muslim background. I am a Muslim. And what I've done throughout this time is talked about how to talk about peace. Um, even that has been problematic. So one of the challenges I have is the question of how do we talk to each other and acknowledge each other's pain uh, while not feeling like our pain and suffering is more than the other. That is a very important question that needs to be asked. Um, the other thing I've been doing for many years now is as a Muslim woman directing a Holocaust center and fighting against anti-Semitism at a Catholic school, right, at Manhattan College. Mm-hmm. And one of the most marvelous things that, that the center has created is interfaith conversations, but in challenging ways, right? So one of the things that I would say as Jews, Christians, and Muslims is we can look, we, we sometimes have to go to our texts to understand who we are as human beings and say, okay, what does this say about peace? And what is my role as somebody who is faith-based? Now, if you're not faith-based, you can also talk about suffering and trauma with people. You can also talk about how there are mass atrocities on both sides. Um, To recognize that deeply in a very profound way, rather than talking about the solutions. And that's what people are looking for, It's It's more about solutions. And I don't have solutions and I don't have the truth. But what I do have is a place that is not just safe, but a brave space of having these conversations where we can listen to each other's pain. And honestly, there are some that may think, oh, you know, that person is biased towards Israel. That person biased towards Palestinians. But it's not about the bias, but it's about the conversation and dialogue between people that becomes important. And we have shut down in our society. Um, there are many organizations who will not partnering together. It has been a very challenging time for me. But I'll say that the conversations that I have been able to create have been very productive and people have thanked me and said thank you for at least creating this space for us because mm. these spaces are not available today.
0: Professor Alfridi I've I've spoken with people on a variety of of different college campuses. And I mean obviously most recently um some of the kind of the Ivies have taken um center stage in congressional hearings and stuff of that nature. but I've spoken to people at other universities who basically kind of are not having the same experience of, of intensity of what's going on what what how are you reading the atmosphere at your institution at at Manhattan College which I know a little bit
3: Yeah I mean we're uh, we've we've had a very peaceful campus. Um, You know, the audience should know that I am the Muslim student advisor. My Muslim students have done things like a Palestinian uh, relief for Gaza, Mm bake sale. They've done advocacy work. uh, What are your rights on campus? Um, I try to bring my class to a movie that we try to show born in Gaza, what it means to live in Gaza from a child's eyes. My colleague who is in religious studies, is the advisor for the Jewish student union. And she had a Hanukkah celebration and they had flags out at the big sale. There were posting flags. I think this is the way we have to coexist. And let me let me just say something. It's really important for the college, any college, any university in this country to have leadership but also have leadership where the leader or the person who is the MSA director or Hillel director or uh, Justice for Palestine groups have a relationship across the college, relationship with other leaders. And that is really the key. So what we're unfortunately seeing is a lack of leadership at you know Ivy League schools. Manhattan College is a good school. It's a solid Catholic school. We're not an Ivy League. But we're small, and we care about our students, and we care about each other and our faculty, and the administration knows that I've had events, I've had community events after October seventh. I partnered with ADL, and you know there was hesitation with some people, but we managed to create these spaces. And next semester, I'm having a, uh, just an event on in February on anti-Semitism, and then the next week on Islamophobia because I believe both need their own days and nights of discussion. Um, And I think that this is how we do it, but I think that it takes a lot of communication and dialogue across the campus. You can't be isolated and be in your silo and expect things to be okay. So I would ask everyone in administration as well as faculty and students to start to have this dialogue where it's long-term you know, we always tend to react to things rather than to say, hey, okay, we know this is a problem. Everybody knew that Israel and Palestine was a trouble spot. And I've been talking about Israel and Palestine. I've had dialogues on our campus about Israel and Palestine. Our Beth- Bethlehem University is a Salian college. My brothers, Salian brothers, are impacted by this deeply. So I have to take into account... The conversation, not just with Jews, but also with Christians um, yes. and Catholics, because we are talking about the Holy Land for yeah. our our Abrahamic faiths. Yeah.
0: You know, Professor Alfredi, Professor Alfredi is a professor of religious studies and the director of the Holocaust Genocide and Interfaith Education Center at Manhattan College. Um, you know, you mentioned Bethlehem University, which strikes me as as just a very shining star, a jewel in in a lot of different ways. And my understanding is, and correct me if I'm wrong, that that the the student population there are both um Christians and Muslims that are, yes. that are there. But I, I I need to raise what I think, what I would consider you know a less than ideal situation it's my understanding though there are no jewish students
3: no but you know bethlehem university is in the west bank it is actually under occupation by israel no, and I, I went yeah so i i went there myself and uh found it was very hard to get in and out of right. the west bank so no, no, no. i know but... i think there's a there's a fear already a tension of Jewish students going to Bethlehem University, yeah, yeah. Um, so I definitely think, yeah. I mean, I I don't think that the Lasallian brothers would be unwelcoming of Jewish students, <laughs> right? But I, yeah, but I think that there is this this separation and segregation, right? And this is why I talk about silos. You know, we we right. did that here too in a way. So yeah. we, if we don't know each other, we don't encounter each other's sacred texts or understand our cultures. How do we move forward? Professor
0: Afridi, you said something a couple of minutes ago, which I wanna come back to. You talked about, um, and I'm, I'm gonna paraphrase what you said, but hopefully accurately, that um, that my suffering isn't greater than your suffering or something, I didn't get you, you, you said it a lot more eloquently than I did. Um, but let me, if you'd say a little bit more about that, and I'm going to introduce a term that has been, you know, used in terms of the current conflict of moral equivalency that, um, you know, that people have been criticized because they say on the one hand and on the other hand, and other people are saying, yeah, but the one hand is not, Equivalent to the other hand. So, in light of what you just said, we offer a few more thoughts and reflections on on that.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really about you know how I have navigated my whole life as a Muslim. Um, you know, I'm originally from Pakistan. There's actually other genocides going on mm-hmm. against Muslims in the world right now, which I've worked on the Uyghur, the Rohingya. Um, Syria is a mess. Uh, We have problems in Sudan. We have problems in Somalia.
0: Myanmar is not doing too well either.
3: Yeah, Rohingya, right. So Myanmar. Um, So one of the things that I think is important for us to do is to acknowledge each other's suffering. Now, someone may, may make the argument that, you know, what happened on October 7th was way more profound than what's happening today to the Gazans or vice versa, you know? And the thing is, okay, in terms of the suffering of that community, correct. That is worse for that community. But we have to recognize that each community has suffered on different ways and levels. It doesn't mean, and we know what equality really is. and, And I like your question. Equality is about looking at the human, another human being and seeing them as equal. And if you see them as equal, then you understand that they're suffering, even though in numbers or in your estimate or your historical analy- uh, analysis, it may not be, but they are a human being that are suffering, that are in trauma. It is not the Olympics of suffering, but it is about acknowledging each other's suffering. Equally, then we can have a dialogue, because other than that, we cannot have a dialogue. If we don't accept the atrocity that Hamas committed on October seventh, and if we don't accept that Gazans are being killed um, every second in in terms of being the indiscriminate Mm -hmm. killing and the victims, then we don't have a dialogue. But to to just call each other out and to create a war of words. And discuss for each other's traditions and religions is against our own faith. It's against Muslim, Muslims, yeah. Jews, and Christians.
0: Yeah, and and again, um, part of the the challenge, it, it, well, part of the reality, is let me just say it this way, um, and I'll talk about Christians not everybody who claims to be a Christian acts in a Christian-like way. (laughs) And and I don't necessarily have any problem after saying that. I have no problem saying, and everyone who claims to be Islamic, always acts in a way that is faithful to Islamic values, nor does every Jew Act in accord with good Jewish values. That I, I don't think we can hide behind the name we choose for religion to assume that just by calling ourselves it, we're always acting in accord with it. And absolutely. And but but part of the problem is, oftentimes when we're in. Should we say, uh, I don't conversation, uh, discussion. Uh, shouting at one another, we assume that every Christian is not acting in a Christian way, or we assume every Muslim is a fanatical Muslim, and whatever. So, um, you know, Professor Efreeti, thank you so much for spending the time. And I hope you'll come back in the not-too-distant future where we can kind of continue the conversation because I think it's so very, very important that we do so.
3: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I just want to say one thing. Sure. One of the, my my favorite quotes by Thomas Merton,
0: right.
3: Catholic thinker, is that peace demands the most heroic labor and most difficult sacrifice.
0: Good way to end our conversation. Thank.
3: Thank you so much.
0: This is just love, just do it. Just love God, your neighbor, yourself. Our world will be more just and more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic channel, Sirius XM 129. Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love, Just Do It, Just Love God, Just Love Your Neighbor, Just Love Yourself, and our world will be more just and more compassionate. Thank you for joining us, and a happy new year and a blessed Feast of the Epiphany to you, where God's love is revealed to the world. Let us be messengers of that love and that peace. Thank you for joining us on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
1: channel, Sirius XM 129.